0: For more details, please check out our website, www.heritagebaptist.co.za Okay, good evening. Wonderful to see everyone. We continue our series on the one another commands in scripture. And uh, today we're looking at uh, forgiving one another. We are to be forgiving Christians, and uh, forgiveness is a difficult thing, isn't it? Uh, it's not natural to us to forgive. I'm not talking about sort of shallow or superficial offences. Uh, I'm talking about those offences that hurt us deeply. Uh, the the offences maybe of a parent, of abuse um, or betrayal in a relationship. Uh, uh, some sort of deep pain, some sort of deep hurt, uh, and then the person asks for forgiveness and we are to forgive them uh, is a difficult thing. C.S. Lewis said this everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Uh, is the it, is it power back? Okay. Okay. Uh, let so as I said, C.S. Lewis says everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Uh, that's when one is really tested on on the grace of forgiveness. And what I find quite fascinating, quite remarkable, is that as I go through the New Testament, New Testament has a lot to say about forgiveness. Uh, Perhaps even more than about repentance, it 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 seems to emphasize the forgiving of those that have sinned against us. Uh, Even more so, it seems to me than that the person who has sinned must go and make right. Now that's probably because it's assumed, but it is noteworthy that over and over again the scriptures call us to repentance. Um, uh, Sorry, to forgiveness. And we are to keep on forgiving. Remember the Lord Jesus in Matthew 18, verse uh, 21. Uh, This is after the section on church discipline. So uh, the Lord Jesus gave instruction on how to deal with those who continue in unrepentant sin. And really it's about those who refuse to receive the forgiveness that is offered to them. And I think that's a helpful way to look at it. That's really what a person is refusing. There is forgiveness being offered. Uh, Here is an opportunity to make right. One person comes and speaks to you. Uh, Then two people come and speak to you. Then the church speaks to you. Uh, All the time hoping that the church or the individual would be able to offer forgiveness. Uh, But the person continues to reject this forgiveness and eventually is, is put out. And then Peter comes up to Jesus and says to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. So this is quite something from Peter. Uh, the rabbis thought three times was about, you know, that's about right. Three times. That sounds right. It's like a baseball analogy. Three strikes and you're out. Uh, but Peter, you know, he, he comes and he thought, he thinks, he probably, you can imagine Peter, it doesn't the scripture doesn't tell us, but we know enough about Peter from scripture that you can imagine he was probably aiming higher to sort of impress Jesus, like seven times. Uh, if someone sins against us and, and then uh, comes and asks for forgiveness and Jesus, look what Jesus says to him in verse 22, I do not say to you seven times but 70 times seven or it could be translated as 77 times. It doesn't really matter which one. The idea is uh, to continue to forgive and the context that would be someone who is truly repentant. Uh, we are not taught in Scripture to be gullible but if someone is truly uh remorseful over their sin uh, we are to continue to forgive them but the reference there to 70 uh, 77 reminds us of the way human beings normally react and it takes us back to Genesis chapter 4 Genesis chapter 4 after the the, the fall in, in Genesis 3 after Cain had killed his brother Abel we have the introduction to this man called Lamech a descendant of Cain and he said, to his wives, he's the first uh, polygamist. Genesis 4:23 he says to Ada and Zillah, he says, he even makes a poem about it. He's so full of himself. He writes some poetry about his attitude. and he says, "Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech says seventy-seven-fold." so Lamech is boasting about his revenge. Uh, And that's that's more like our nature. When someone hurts us, we want to retaliate. And we want to to hurt them more than they've hurt us. Uh, Maybe, you know, you're at school or something, you were bullied and something terrible happened, and then in your mind you're imagining all these ways that you could get revenge. And it's always much worse than... Uh, what happened to you? Uh, it's in our nature. In fact, it's not a new thing. Uh, archaeologists who were doing excavations in, the, in in England in a city called Bath, it's an ancient city. It was built during Roman, uh, when the Romans were in charge of England. Uh, they built these Roman bath houses, and it's, that's why it's called Bath. And uh, archaeologists were working there, and they found in in the Roman bath, somebody had... Scratched some uh, writing onto one of the walls, and it says that Docimetus—that's his name—has lost two gloves. He asks that the person who stole them lose his mind and his eyes. Okay, uh, so his gloves were taken. His retaliation is: I hope you lose your mind and you go blind. Okay, so there is that within us. Uh, You've taken my stuff. I'm going to. Get revenge. I remember a, a, a friend of mine, this was years and years ago, uh, in, in the church that I grew up in, his car was stolen, and uh, uh, his Bible was inside the car. And someone said to him, well, you can, you can pray that maybe you know they'll read the Bible and get saved. And he was like, no ways. Uh, <laughs> Now, he was jesting, uh, you know, that was ultimately. But you can understand that, that immediate anger and that rage that we don't want good things to happen to those who hurt us, those who commit injustice. But the Lord, even in that passage in Matthew 18, wants the church to be radically different. This way of revenge and retaliation and hurting people more than they hurt us, that's the way of the world. The church must be radically countercultural. The church is supposed to be a place that is so amazing because of its radical forgiveness, and so that brings us to our passage. You can turn to Colossians three twelve. Colossians three twelve. Uh, Paul says this to to the Colossians. He says, "Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved." And this is what they must put on. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Uh, And so quite a remarkable passage that Paul uses this, this language, the epithets, the titles that belonged to Israel in the Old Testament. He says... You are God's chosen ones. So if you're a believer, if you're someone who's repented and put your trust in Christ, this is true of you. Uh, You are one of God's chosen ones, chosen by the Lord. You are holy, you are set apart, and you are beloved, loved by God, uh, more than we can even begin to imagine. And then he says, this is what we must put on, and this is the imagery in Scripture to put off and to put on. So as you take off dirty clothes and put on clean clothes, that's the imagery. To put off wrong behavior and put on right behavior. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, etc. Verse 13. And if someone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. So this is someone who has an issue. I have an issue with someone who has wronged me. I am to forgive that one. And... uh, It's quite interesting, the word that Paul uses here, the Greek word, is not the normal word for forgiving. Uh, One commentator says this, Forgiving is based on the root word for grace. It carries the idea of a free forgiveness, perhaps because of grace. These two qualities were linked in Paul's mind, as they often are in practice. You see, to forgive, you can only truly forgive, and only truly forgive those who have deeply hurt you, by God's grace, and it's a display of grace to the other, to the other person. Uh, it is perhaps in forgiveness that we are most like the, the Lord. Uh, the Lord is the one who has forgiven us. Uh, another commentator says the present tense of the verb to forgive or forgiving makes it plain that this forgiveness is to be unceasing, even unwarying. So, if you've ever had to forgive someone for for a deep hurt, you will know that it's not a simple matter of saying "I forgive you." Uh, you might even feel feelings of forgiveness at that time, but then out of nowhere, uh, you feel hurt. You're reminded of the sin. You're reminded of the offense, and the anger and bitterness perhaps rises up again, and you have to. So, it's a continuous thing. Uh, God has promised to not remember our sin. Now God is omniscient. God knows all things. It's not as though He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what your sin is. He knows all things. What it means is, He's chosen not to bring it to remembrance. Uh, And that's a constant activity. Uh, Just as repentance is an ongoing thing, you don't repent of a sin and that's where it ends. Repentance is a lifestyle. That you keep on fighting sin. You keep on being careful at what you look at, where you go, who you interact with, you keep on. It's a, it's a lifestyle. So is forgiveness. It's a constant work not to bring to remembrance, not to dwell on the pain, not to dwell on the hurt. Uh, and instead of wanting retribution on the other person, wanting the other person to suffer, you take the pain you're, yourself, like the Lord Jesus Christ did. We deserve the punishment. We have sinned against Him, but He took the pain. Uh, the parallel passage in, in Ephesians, so many people don't know that, but Colossians and Ephesians are, are really parallel epistles. Uh, it's, it's helpful to go and read both of them at the same time, or not at exactly the same time, that would be remarkable, uh, but uh, close together, uh, and you will see a lot of overlap And Ephesians 4, 31, Paul says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And so he's talking here about, uh, verse 31 is showing what must be put off, and there's an increase in intensity in the list from internal bitterness all the way through to fighting and shouting and cursing. Um, What we would say is, in in our fallenness, natural responses to being wronged, shouting and bitterness and cursing. Paul says, put it away, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And then he says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Uh, And so we are to forgive. Uh, Over and over again, the Scriptures tell us to to forgive. Now, how are we going to do this? I hope you noticed in both passages, uh, in Colossians, it says that we must forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you. And then in Ephesians, Paul says, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so Paul, as he always does, brings every teaching to Christ or to the triune God. And so what is the, the motivation? How are we going to find it within ourselves? In fact, you won't find it in yourself to, to that kind of grace, that kind of forgiveness. How are we going to do it? Uh, it would be terrible if Paul just said, forgive one another. And that was the end of it. But what he does is he reminds us of, of Christ. How are we to do it? And so I want us to have a look at a parable uh, so that we can really get an idea of this. At seminary, in preaching, we're told to use illustrations. Often the Bible gives the best illustrations. Well, I would say always, the Bible gives the best illustrations. And so this parable is a great illustration of how we are to be thinking. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse 23. And so this is right after Peter has asked his question How many times? And uh, obviously the Lord in His wisdom knows that this is a, a, a bitter pill to swallow. How is it that you're going to you know, keep on forgiving a difficult person in the congregation uh, who is truly repentant each time but they keep stumbling, they, they keep causing offense in certain ways. But there is real remorse and uh, because the Lord is not calling us to gullibility when He says this. He's giving us a principle. And so Jesus Christ is going to help Peter and us and the apostles at their time. And he tells this parable, Matthew 18, 23. Jesus says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Uh, and so he's talking about the way God's kingdom operates. So the kingdom parables, wherever you see the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, it's the same thing. Don't buy any book that... You know he's trying to tell you there's some secret thing to the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of god don't waste your money on that Uh, the jews didn't like to use god's name and uh, so matthew is written primarily to a jewish audience and so he respects that and instead of saying the kingdom of god he says the kingdom of heaven but it's the same thing and so the parables are telling us how we are to live as god's people we are under the king the lord jesus christ how do we behave in this kingdom Just as if we're we're citizens of South Africa, there are certain requirements, there's a certain way of doing things. And other countries do things differently, uh, drive on a different side of the road. And so part of submission is you you learn that. You, you, You submit to those things. We are in Christ's kingdom. How are we to live? And so the parables tell us. And the example is given of this king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. Verse 24, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. Um, This is an astronomical amount. Uh, We know from historical records that the entire tax income for the whole of Israel, that whole area, around this time was only 800 talents in one year. So, uh, 10,000 talents is, we're talking in, in today's money, trillions, trillions of dollars, okay? Uh, the idea is this is almost an infinite amount, okay? It's an impossible amount. And so the king is, uh, you know, we don't, we're not told how he, how he got into so much debt, uh, but uh, he's in debt to the king to this incredible amount of money. Verse 25, and since he could not pay his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Uh, again, that would have not really brought in much money. On record, the most expensive slave at that time only went for one talent. Okay. It was the most expensive slave was sold for a talent, so it still leaves. <laughs> 9999. <laughs> uh, I was just checking if it was ten thousand or one thousand. So even that would not would not put make a dent in the debt. Okay, even if he sold off the family and all their possessions, uh, it would not make a dent in this incredible amount. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, begging him, "Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything." It's a a ridiculous statement to make. You know. Not even Elon Musk could make such a statement. I will pay back trillions of dollars. Uh, No one is able to do that. That's the idea of the parable. You're supposed to get a sense. If you were part of the original audience, you would know this is ridiculous. This is impossible to ever pay this amount back. And then, it's, it's stunning. Verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. He wrote it off. Wrote off the whole amount, released him. 10,000 talents written off. Totally forgiven. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's gone. It's off the books. It's, it's finished. Uh, it's not hanging over his head anymore. It is gone. Verse 28 But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Uh, and that's not an insubstantial amount. Uh, denarius was a day's day's wage for, for manual labor, so hundred denarii is sort of three months, so a third to a quarter to a third of a year's salary. So it's it's still a large amount of of money. It's not a small amount that you just write off. It's twenty bucks or something like that. No, it's uh, take your salary times by three, and uh, it's that sort of figure. So it's a substantial amount of money. Uh, and so this is a, this is a proper debt. Okay? This is, a, this is a, a large amount. You get the idea this is painful. This is, this is a substantial amount of money. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. And uh, you, you see this sort of parallelism between the response of the first servant to the king and now the response of the second servant. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Uh, Prison, literally the the word is sort of torturers. And so what what would happen is uh, if a person was sent to this place, they would torture this person in in the hope that the family members and others would be so Moved that they would raise the money so they could, could, could release this individual. So a very, uh, very distressing situation. Verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Okay. And Jesus compares the father to the king here. And... Uh, This is a remarkable account. It's a stunning account. Because the one who suffers in the end, the one who experiences torment, is the one who has been wronged. Do you see that? He was owed the money. Uh, he, He had experienced injustice. This person owed him money and was not able to pay it. And that man is then cast into torment. That person is then judged. Uh, We really need to to wrap our minds around the seriousness of forgiveness and that Jesus focuses more on this than the the person who had not yet paid the money back. Now, if you take from this, well, what the story is saying is uh, you better forgive or God will send you to hell, Uh, that's not... (laughs) That's true, but that's not the primary effect that the Lord is after here. What he is trying to do, and this is what Paul is linking us to when he says, as Christ has forgiven you, is to show the way that you, 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 you learn to forgive others is by focusing on how much you have been forgiven by Christ. That's what this parable is saying. If you're a Christian... Our sin uh, is against an an infinitely holy God. Our our disrespect every morning when we wake up, we don't give thanks to Him. Uh, We grumble and complain all the time. We use His name as a curse word. We don't appreciate the good gifts He has given to us. Uh, We lust with our eyes and in our heart. We hate within our hearts and even sometimes uh, physically. We don't honor our mother and father. Uh, we disrespect them verbally through our actions, through our behavior. We bring shame upon our family and upon the names of our families. We lie uh, in many different ways. Uh, we're dishonest, we're late for work, we make up a story, and it just becomes the way we live. Over and over again, and yet our sin is against a holy and a righteous God, an infinitely holy God, a creator God who has blessed us with so many good things. And so for God to forgive us is, is, is you know, the nearest we can come is this Parable. It's as though we owe the Lord trillions of dollars and he wrote the debt off. Forgiveness is not easy. That's why uh, we have to, why Paul and the gospel writers bring it to Jesus Christ. The only way you are going to be able to forgive someone who has deeply hurt you. The only way, notice what Jesus says, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Okay? Not just, it's okay, I forgive you and you hold it inside and you bottle it up and you still wish ill and you're, uh, but you're not acting on it so you think you're sort of dealing with it and I'm quite a gracious person no, you must forgive from the heart okay? what you'll want to do is to meditate on the wrong that's being committed to you isn't that right? mull over it consider the injustice of it all of these things and fill your mind with that what the scriptures are telling us to do—the way that you actually forgive from the heart, the way you truly release that person—is to fill your mind rather with, "Lord, you have forgiven me; you've forgiven me for all of my sin." And in comparison, it's not to say that the sins that the, 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 the offenses that you've experienced are nothing. This figure is not a nothing figure. They are real, they are legitimate, they are painful. But they do pale in, when you compare it to how you and I have sinned against the Lord and continue to sin every day against Him, even after conversion, even after we know something of His love and His, his grace. See, at Calvary, the Lord Jesus took the pain upon Himself. Instead of destroying us justly, He bore that Wrath. He bore that punishment. He bore the pain in himself. He took it upon himself so that he could even say on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then later on in Acts, we've seen already Stephen uh, saying, forgive them, acting like his, his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you don't get much more painful than being stoned to death. And yet in the midst of that, he's able to, to forgive them. As he considers the, the forgiveness that he has experienced. So, uh, you want to know how to forgive. You and I must forgive. Uh, uh, again, notice what the scriptures say. They don't say, well, if you're a Christian and in the church, nobody will ever offend you. <laughs> okay. No one will ever hurt you. Don't worry. Uh, you'll be fine. It's those bad people outside. No. No. It's, it's our brothers and sisters. We will sin against each other. Okay? Unfortunately. Uh, and, and we're to ask for forgiveness and to truly repent. Uh, but sometimes when somebody actually does repent, it makes it harder, isn't it, right? If they don't repent, then it gives us license to sort of hold on to, yeah, you know, uh, I can hold on to this a little bit. Uh, I hope they, they, they get what's coming to them. But when they ask for forgiveness, It's uh, it's interesting often in marriages that it's not so much the offence, but it's the lack of forgiveness that ends in the that causes the destruction of marriages, that a person cannot forgive. And that's why I think the New Testament focuses so much on forgiveness. That one is to forgive. And how am I to do it? Well, fill your mind with what the Lord has done for you. Focus on the gospel and his forgiveness of, of you. And that's a continuous thing. But as the more you do that, the more you will be able to forgive from the heart. Because you realize, Lord, you have forgiven me so much. How can I hold on to this? Who do I think I am? And also it will keep you from self-righteousness. Uh, you know, sometimes, maybe you've said something like this before, I could never do something like that. Ever said that? Well, repent of that? Okay. Within all of our hearts is the capacity to do every sin. Uh, never think that. Okay? It is God's grace. It might be the way you were brought up. It might be culture. It might be just the fact there's a policeman who lives next door to you. It might be any number of things that is restraining you from that. But if God removes those restraints, every, every heinous sin, every possible sin, you and I are capable of doing it. And so how can we withhold forgiveness? And so as we show radical forgiveness to one another uh, it should stand out as a testimony to the world. We are different. We are not a vengeful people. We are a forgiving people like our Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Oh Father we thank you so much for your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you so much for your forgiveness, Father, that is uh, is given to us through Christ, through the finished work at Calvary. Uh, Thank you that all our sins are forgiven, Lord Jesus. What an incredible thing. Uh, Past, present, and future, if we are your children, they have all been atoned for. Uh, They're not hanging over our heads. It's not a Damocles sword. That we're just waiting for it to fall. But that, that law, that, that paper of condemnation, that legal document, has been destroyed, burnt up, taken away. Oh Lord, and how dare we not forgive others? Uh, please help us, please forgive us for doing that so often. Um, I do pray uh, that you would work by your spirit, Lord, as uh, we are all here that there are any who, who know that there are relationships where they're holding on to bitterness, where they're not forgiving. That you would work, Lord, that they would be aware of your amazing grace in their own lives, of the ten thousand talent debt that you wrote off. Help us, Lord, to be a a, a church that shows radical forgiveness, radical grace. Not gullibility, not taking sin lightly, not just sweeping it under the carpet, but, uh, but forgiving when there is repentance, uh, lavish forgiveness. And Lord, as we do that, may, may others be drawn to, to you, Lord Jesus. May they see something of your forgiveness in that, something of the gospel in that. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you.